Well, on Sunday mornings, we've been looking into the book of 1 Peter for past several Sundays, and I'm enjoying this study, and I hope you are as well. And if you are not, don't tell me, okay? Just keep that to yourself. But uh, I'm enjoying this study, but what I'd like to do this morning is deviate from it just, uh, just for today, because this morning, my mind is on something a little different. My mind is on what's going to take place next Sunday. Now, I'm here today, all right, but... But my mind is still thinking of our friend and family day, thinking of our fall revival, thinking on that subject of, of revival. And so this morning, what I like to do is to draw our attention to that very subject of revival, all right? Now, I'm fully aware and I do understand that there are people today who would suggest that revival is not possible. And for any church to host a revival meeting or to have an evangelist in to preach a revival and to set time aside to seek the Lord for revival in our hearts and in the lives of others, they would say that's pointless and that's worthless. There are people that say that today. And even Christians that say that today are churches, people in our churches that say that very thing today. Now, just so you know, I would not agree with them, all right? I would not be one of those that would emphatically say that at times of revival or that it's not possible, all of that. I would not be uh, that individual that would say that it's all for nothing. I believe it's very, very possible. And folks, I believe it's very, very important as well. Because I believe, still believe that God wants to, can, and will revive His people. And as I think on this subject of revival... I'm going to be honest with you. You want me to be honest with you? Yes? Okay. I'm going to be honest with you. We need it. We know that our country needs it. We know that our cities and communities and towns need it. And as I think of revival on a whole and a large scale that way, my mind goes to this verse. It's really a prayer that the prophet Habakkuk prayed when he said this in Habakkuk 3, verses 1 through 2, a prayer of Habakkuk, the prophet, upon Shigenoth, he says this, O Lord, I have heard thy speech and was afraid. O Lord, revive thy work in the midst of the years. In the midst of the years, make known in wrath, remember mercy. You see, as Habakkuk was, had the privilege of being a prophet, he knew what was coming down the line. He knew of the coming destruction, soon destruction, in the captivity of, of his people. He knew it was coming, but his prayer was this. He knew the wrath of God was coming, but his prayer was this. Lord, revive us. He was praying it on a large scale of revival. And we need it. Our country, oh yeah, on a large scale, sure. Oh yes. Our communities, towns, yes. Absolutely. But even more, and maybe even most importantly, we need revival, listen, in our churches today, in our homes today, in your heart and in mine today. You see, as Christians, as churches, we need to be awakened out of our slumber. We need to be awakened from our apathy, from our indifference, from our coldness, from our dispassion, if you will. We need to be awakened. I didn't say woke, all right, but we need to be awakened. 
The Bible says in Ephesians 5, 14, Wherefore he saith, Awake thou that sleepest, and arise from the dead, and Christ shall give thee light. The psalmist said in Psalm 85, 6, Wilt thou not revive us again that thy people may rejoice in thee? Would you agree with me this morning that we need revival once again in our churches, in our homes, in our lives? Amen. We need it. But the question is, how do we see our churches filled with revival or revival fire? How do we see our homes holy and happy? And how can we see a collective group such as Boiling Springs even, uh, Boiling Springs Baptist Church collectively have a revival as a whole? How do we do that? Well, it's not necessarily having a meeting on a calendar and calling it a revival, though we do. All right. We've had this meeting scheduled. Just so you know, I've had this meeting scheduled with Brother Paulie since 2019. Some of you have not been here since that, uh, that long. But, but I've had him scheduled since 2019. But is that how we have revival? We put it on the calendar and call it revival? Not necessarily. It's not because we have a big name preacher come in and, and, uh, and preach for us, though I'm very excited that Brother Paulie, he would not call himself a big name preacher, okay? But, but uh, he is quite well known. I am glad he's going to be with us. I'm excited to hear him preach. He always helps me, and I know he'll help you too. So please be in your place each service. But it's not because we have some individual come in. It's not because we have the right singing group come in, though we have some great music planned and special groups coming to be with us on Monday and Tuesday. But that's not what it brings, or causes, whatever you want to call it, Revival. But how can we have a revived church, a revived community, and those many other churches and many other communities have revival and just leaks out and have a big old revival in our whole country? How can we see that? How can that happen? Well, I believe it can happen when we as individuals, when we personally listen, when you and I, when we personally get right with God, then I think we can see it collectively. As a whole, we must be people. We must be people who personally fall in love with Jesus all over again. You see, if individual believers would care more about their own personal walk with the God than others, if they care about their own personal sins that they're dealing with and that they're committing than the sins of others, if they would confess those instead of confessing others, I think we might start to see sparks of revival. But understand that all begins with personal revival. But what is it? What is a, a good revival? What, what are some good marks of a revival? Some think a good revival would be if the building is full then that must be a good revival. Don't get me wrong. I desire to see this building absolutely filled to the gills, busting at the seams, bringing out chairs and doing other things. Don't get me wrong. But is that a mark of a good revival? Is a mark of a good revival, is it when people are, uh, are getting saved by the dozens and by the hundreds? Well, some would think so. And I'm praying that way and you are praying that way as well. Praying for loved ones, family to come know Jesus as their Savior. But some thinks that's the mark of a good revival. 
Some think if a, a good mark of a revival is if somebody comes in here, spits hollers, and get us all in a good emotional stir, and we leave here fired up. Man, we've had revival. Don't get me wrong. I'm praying our preacher comes. The evangelist comes with passion in his heart. And uh, just full of the Holy Spirit and just rears back and lets her rip. You know what I'm saying. You're in the South. You know what I mean. Don't get me wrong. But is that what marks a good revival? Listen, I am no expert whatsoever on revival. I've talked with individuals on this subject several times. But I'm no expert if there's even such a thing on revival. But I do believe a good mark of revival in really any meeting is this. Brother Pauly, Brother Pauly told me this many, many years ago. He says a good meeting is when this happens, when God speaks to you personally. Personal. And this is why I try to encourage you to ask God to speak to your heart, to your heart, to your heart, personally, as we meet together. That God would speak to us individually. We need, we need the Lord. We need God personally for salvation, absolutely. And if you're here, you don't know Jesus as your Savior, I want to be the first to tell you, you need Him. And you must be born again. You must believe on Jesus. You must believe the gospel of His death, burial, and resurrection. He did it all for you. And you must be saved. We need the Lord. For salvation, yes, absolutely. But also for everyday living. We just need Him personally. We need Him. So since we're thinking on our personal need of God and all of that, let me ask you this question that I don't want you to answer out loud, but I want you to be honest within the recesses of your heart. Do you need a personal revival today? Allow the Lord to shine His light of the Word of God upon that very subject and answer that question for you. We need the Lord. And so as we think on this subject of personal revival, I want to go to Psalm 138. Will you go there with me? Psalm 138 this morning. And uh, from this text, I believe it will get us a little glimpse of uh, personal revival from the lips of David. Really from the pen of David. But again, the Psalms, remember, they were songs to be sang out loud and that's what they did. Even the, uh, the Hebrews, as they would read these psalms, they didn't read them silently. No, no, no. They would exclaim them and sing them quite loudly from their heart. And so, yeah, it's written down with pen and paper, but this would have come from the very lips of David himself. Look at it with me. Psalm 138. It's a short psalm, just eight verses long, so let's read it together, okay? The Bible says in verse number one, I will praise thee with my whole heart. Before the gods will I sing praise unto thee. I will worship toward thy holy temple and praise thy name for thy loving kindness and for thy truth. For thou hast magnified thy word above all thy name. And the day when I cried, thou answered me and strengthened me with strength in my soul. All the kings of the earth shall praise thee, O Lord, when they hear the words of thy mouth. Yea, they shall sing in the ways of the Lord, for great is the glory of the Lord. Though the Lord be high, yet hath he respect unto the lowly, but the proud he knoweth afar off. Never forget, God honors humility. Verse 7. Though I walk in the midst of trouble, thou wilt revive me. Thou shalt stretch forth thine hand against the wrath of mine enemies, and thy right hand shall save me. 
The Lord will perfect that which concerneth me. Thy mercy, O Lord, endureth forever. Forsake not the works of thine own hands. Our fathers, we consider this subject this morning of revival, especially on the lines of individual, as individuals, personal revival. Will you show us? You show us our need to get certain things right with you. Because, Lord, time is so short. So as the psalmist said, search me, O God, and know me. May that be the prayer we breathe as we look to your word this morning. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, what I would like to do is this. We'll take a look at some basic elements of the Christian life, and if they are missing, then I would dare say we could be lacking in this area of revival. It may point to the very fact that we need it, that we need a personal revival. So if some of these elements are lacking, they could point to that very thing, that you and I, we need revival. And the first thing I'd like to bring out, again, is in our text in verse number 1 and 2, and it's this one. If our praise and worship is missing then it could point to our need of personal revival. Look at it with me again. Verse number one, I will praise thee with my whole heart before the gods. Will I sing praise unto thee? I will worship toward thy holy temple and praise thy name for thy loving kindness and for thy truth. If our praise and worship is missing in our lives, it could mean we need a personal revival. Now listen, when I say praise and worship here, I'm not talking about a certain genre of music, all right? I'm not talking about something that we just listen to or even watch what others do. Rather, what I'm talking about when it comes to praise and worshiping the Lord, I'm talking about a way of life. Because that's what David is pointing to himself. This is his way of life. He just praises and worships the Lord. It's part of who he is, part of his identity, if you will. Now, many times when we think of David, we don't necessarily paint him as a uh, joyful, all the time, rather, a worshiper. Rather, when we think of David, we think of him as a warrior, right? I'm going to prove it. I'm going to say a phrase. I want you to finish it. All right? You ready? Everybody understand the, 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 the task? I'm going to say a phrase, and you... Okay, you got it. All right, you're on board. Here we go. David and... How many say Goliath? Pretty much everybody. That's, that's the name I heard. And we think of David and Goliath. Why? This dude defeated that mighty giant. This was, a, this was a man. He was a fighter. He was a warrior. And that's what we think of with David. Many people think of that defining moment and that defining battle of his life when he went out and defeated Goliath. And that's why we equate him as a warrior, as a mighty man of battle, as a man's man, as a fighter. Listen, David was no sissy, all right? We know that. Of course, he was a warrior. He's our kind of guy. But understand, just as much as he was that, he was also a worshiper as well. And worship was a part of his life, just as being a fighter, just as being a, a, a warrior was. This, being a worshiper, was part of who he was. And when you study the life of David, you'll find him worshiping God in every stage of life. You can see him even as a young man, as a, as a shepherd boy, taking care of his father's sheep. You find him worshiping. Read Psalm 23. 
He's thinking back to that time when he did that. You find him again when he's an old king taking care of the nation of Israel. You find him worshiping. Read Psalm 37. You'll find him doing just that. So he worships in every time and stage of life, but he also worships in every circumstance of life as well. When things were going good, you will find this man David praising the Lord. Do you remember when they brought back the Ark of the Covenant, the Ark of God, back to Jerusalem? Do you remember what David did? The Bible says in 2 Samuel 6, verses 14 through 15, And David danced before the Lord with all of his might. And David was girded with a linen ephod. So David and all the house of Israel brought up the ark of the Lord with shouting and with the trumpet, or with the sound of the trumpet. David was praising the Lord in this moment for the ark coming back. As the Bible says, he danced before the Lord with all of his might. And just so you know, this dance was probably not the two-step nor the salsa, okay? That's not the kind of dancing he was... The Bible is describing here. Rather, it's more like him just leaping and jumping for joy. Because this would have been a joyful day when the ark coming back to Jerusalem it had been, been gone for so long as the enemies had taken that. But this would have been a good day to be a Hebrew. And you find this leader of the Hebrews worshiping during a good day when things were going quite well. And if you um, and I were... Honest with ourselves, we agree this is the easiest times to praise the Lord and to worship when things are going well, when things are going to plan, when things are seeming only up and up. Those are the times that we worship and find it easier to do so. And by the way, we should praise the Lord for all the good things that come and that happen and all the, all the things go to plan, all of that. Sure, we should praise the Lord during those times, but not those times only. We shouldn't just praise the Lord only when our favorite team wins. Some of you are happy this morning. That's good. Okay, your team won. That's great. All right. We shouldn't just praise the Lord when your favorite team wins or when your bills are paid or even when you get along with your mother-in-law. Okay. There's other times of needful worship. You find those in David's life as well when things were falling apart. You find him worshiping and praising the Lord when he faced much tragedy and heartache in his life. Remember when David was on the run from Saul in the wilderness of En Gedi. By the way, he was on the run from Saul for nearly 15, 16 years. Long time. His father-in-law hated him. <laughs> he was jealous of him. But it was on this one particular time when he was in the wilderness of En Gedi and Saul took unto him, the Bible says, 3,000 chosen soldiers. This has been the equivalent of SEAL Team 6, basically, during his time. And he gathered his team together and he's going after the very throat and life of David. Yet in this moment, David knowing what's transpiring and coming against him, he knows what's going on. He does this instead of panicking and getting so upset and angry and going after Saul himself. Here's what David does. He sits down in silence and pens these words. Let me read them to you. In Psalm 63, in verse number 1, O God, thou art my God. Early will I seek thee, my soul thirsteth for thee, my flesh longeth for thee in a dry and thirsty land where no water is. To see thy power and thy glory so as to I have seen in the sanctuary because thy loving kindness is better than life, my lips shall praise thee. Listen, again, this is a psalm. This will not be read silently. No, he was singing this with his whole heart. My lips shall praise thee. 
Thus will I bless thee while I live. I will lift up my hands in thy name. My soul shall be satisfied as with morrow and fatness. My mouth shall praise thee with joyful lips. When I remember thee upon my bed and meditate on thee in the night watches, because thou hast been my help, therefore in the shadow of thy wings will I rejoice. Understand, when you read this, this psalm here, you wouldn't think it would be quite a dark day for for, for David, but it was. And what does he do during this dark time of life? He worships. He praises the Lord. You can go over in Acts chapter 16 and see where Paul and Silas have been shackled. They've been beaten. They've been thrown into prison. And by all human standards, they are in a very dark and low place of life. Yet what do they do? The Bible says in Acts 16, 25, And at midnight Paul and Silas prayed and sang praises unto God, and the prisoners heard them. All I'm saying this morning is this, with David and other, other people in Scripture alike, when they found themselves in good days, they worshiped. But when they found themselves in bad ones, they still looked to the Lord and worshiped God. Did they worship Him because of the circumstances? No, they worshiped Him because of who God is. They worshiped and praised the Lord because that's part of who they were. Is it part of who you are? Can I ask you this morning, have you lost your song? If so, it could be that we are in need of a personal revival. What else if it's missing? It may point to our need of a personal revival. Number two, our passion for the Word of God. If that's missing... I could point to the very need of revival in our lives. Look at verse number 2 again. I will worship toward thy holy temple and praise thy name for thy loving kindness and for thy truth. For thou hast magnified thy word above all thy name. Let me ask you a question this morning. How is your passion, your love, your care for God's word? Do you have a great desire for the word of God? To read it, to learn it, to obey it. And by the way, not just on Sundays, <laughs> but every single day. How is your love for God's word? We get a glimpse of it here in David's life, at least his passion for God's word. He says this, I will praise thy name for thy loving kindness and for thy truth. He was so thankful for the word of God, for the truth of God. For many times, this is the only thing that was going to keep him going when everything else seemed to be falling apart in his life. Again, Psalm 119 and verse 161. Princes have persecuted me without a cause, but my heart standeth in awe of thy word. I rejoice at thy word as one that findeth great spoil. I mean, that's a powerful verse. He rejoiced at the word of God as if it was the most precious thing he could ever find in his life. Do we do the same? How is our passion for God's word? One night, Psalm 119, 97. Oh, how love I thy law. It is my meditation all the day. Understand, David had a passion for God's word. But notice in this verse as well, the Lord's passion for his own word. Look at verse 2 again with me. Down towards the end of it, it says this, For thou hast magnified thy word above all thy name. You know, history tells us that the Old Testament scribes, when they would copy the Old Testament and, 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 uh, uh, and to, other, uh, to other portions of Scripture or whatever, and they would copy the Old Testament, 
They held the name of the Lord in such high regard that they would not even write the vowel sounds of Yahweh. Thus rendering the writing of the name Yahweh this way, Y-H-W-H, making the name of the Lord unspeakable. And not only that, tradition also says that they would throw, when they would, again, these scribes would, would, uh, would copy the word of God, they would throw away the very pen, uh, the quill or whatever it was, that they wrote these four letters with, so not to dishonor the name of the Lord with any lesser word. <laughs> I think they had quite a reference for the word of God and specifically the name of the Lord. What a reference they had. Reverence for it. Let me ask you, are you thankful for the name of the Lord this morning? I am. I'm thankful for the very name of Jesus because it's that very name that I called upon to save me when I was 16 years old. And I'm reminded from the book of Acts, in Acts chapter 4, verse 12, there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. What name is that? The name of the Lord, which is Jesus I'm thankful for the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, yet I read here and reminded in Scripture here in this psalm that the Lord honors His Word above even His own name. Again, let me ask you, how is your passion for God's Word? How important is God's Word to you in your life? Is, do, you, do you honor the, the Word of God in your life? And again, not just on Sunday. Is it like Job in Job 23, 12? Neither have I gone back from the commandment of his lips. I have esteemed the words of his mouth more than my necessary food. Job was saying, listen, after all these things that I've gone through and am going through, the thing that I want most is not relief. It's not release from this pain. It's not a new home that got destroyed. It's not new herds and herdsmen, all the things that got stolen. None of those things. He said, what I want more than anything in life is the word of God. And he esteemed it more than his necessary food. That necessary food means just to keep him alive. He wanted God's, he would rather starve to death if that meant he would still have God's word. It's amazing. Again, how is our passion, how is our desire for God's word? If it's missing, we need revival. How about prayer? Number three, if prayer is missing, it could point to our need of revival. Again, look at verse number three. In the day when I cried, thou answered me and strengthened me with strength in my soul. Now this prayer here wasn't just a run-of-the-mill, routine, repetitious type of prayer. It wasn't an empty prayer whatsoever. No, this was a crying out. He says, in the day when I cried, this was a crying out, a calling out to God. It was a cry and a call to invite God into his situation. And many times when it comes to prayer, instead of inviting God, rather what we do many times is informing God as if he doesn't already know or know about our circumstances already. And many times we're, we're, we can be guilty of just simply praying to inform him and give him a laundry list type of thing. And by the way, there's nothing wrong with requests, okay? He does ask us to ask him, okay? It's still in the Bible. But if that's the only reason, if it's the only thing we do, the only reason is to give him our laundry list of things to do, then listen, we've missed it. Because here, David is not doing that. He, he is inviting God into his situation, into his circumstance, and into his life. And I believe that God delights in that. Proverbs 15, 8, the sacrifice of the wicked is an abomination of the Lord, but the prayer of the upright is his 
delight. Again, prayer for David was just part of who he was. In Psalm 55, verse 16 through 17, As for me, I will call upon God, and the Lord shall save me evening and morning, and at noon will I pray and cry aloud, and he shall hear my voice. Again, prayer wasn't just what David did. It was part of who he was. Can it be said the same about us today? If prayer, spending that time with God, is missing in our hearts and lives today, could it be we need a personal revival? And lastly, this one. If the proclamation of the gospel is missing in our lives today, we need revival. I want to ask you a question. When was the last time that you spoke to someone about the Lord Jesus Christ? About spiritual matters, things that actually matter. About knowing Jesus as your Savior. When was the last time you gave someone the gospel of his death, burial, and resurrection? When was the last time you gave somebody your testimony of how you came to know Jesus as, as your Savior? Because listen, in our conversations, if they are consistently void of God, we may need, <laughs> no, we do need revival. Again, look at verse number four. All the kings of the earth shall praise thee, O Lord, when they hear the words of thy mouth. Yea, they shall sing in the ways of the Lord, for great is the glory of the Lord. Though the Lord be nigh, yet hath he respect unto the lowly. But the proud he knoweth afar off. Listen, when Christians get excited, once again, about giving out the gospel, this is a great sign of a personal revival in their life when God is just so, so real and God is just so stirred in their hearts and minds, they cannot help but tell somebody about Him and about what God has done for them. When that happens, I think it's a good sign of a personal revival. Do you remember what Jeremiah said in Jeremiah 20 and verse 9? Then I said, I will not make mention of him, nor speak any more in his name. He said, I'm done. I'm quitting. Yeah, Jeremiah the mighty prophet wanted to quit. Okay. He said, I'm done with this. These people don't listen to me anyway. I'm quitting. But what happened? But his word was in mine heart as a burning fire shut up in my bones, and I was weary with forbearing, and I could not stay. Meaning he wanted to quit, but he couldn't quit. Why? The Lord and his word was so real to him and so stirred in his life, he couldn't help but tell others about the Lord. Again, the disciples in Acts 1.8, Be shall receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you. You shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem, all Judea, in Samaria, unto the uttermost part of the earth. Now we know this happened. We know this, this happened with the disciples, of course, when they were full of the Holy Spirit, full of God, when they stood up and preached the Word of God on the day of Pentecost. We can say it this way, they were fully revived, all right? When they were full of the Holy Spirit of God. Because these fearful saints stood up fearless and full of faith and proclaimed the gospel of Jesus Christ and 3,000 got saved that day. Understand, sometimes we think revival happens when people get saved. But I'm here to tell you, folks, getting saved is a result. It's a result of people getting revived. Of God's people getting revived personally. Because again, they become bold in their faith and they begin to proclaim the gospel that they once did, uh, maybe not as much anymore, but they once, to, once did all the time. But once they start to have their sparks of revival in their heart again, they can't help but tell others, but God has done for them 
When the gospel goes forth, guess what happens? People get saved. Here's what the Bible says in Romans 1.16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. What does the Bible exclaim is the power of God unto salvation? Starts with a G, ends with the gospel. The gospel, good job. The gospel is the power of God unto salvation. So therefore when it's given, people will hear it and make a decision to trust Jesus or not, people will get saved as the gospel is proclaimed. And we need a revival of gospel proclaimers in our day. But if we are missing this element in our life, if we're not telling others of the gospel of Jesus Christ, I dare say we need a personal revival. So is this missing? When's the last time? When's the last time you told somebody about Jesus? When's the last time you actually spent time in prayer with God? When's the last time you actually sat down and not hurried through the Word just to check a box off in your devotions, but you sat down and you wanted to get so, so deep in the Word of God and have God speak to your heart? I like what Spurgeon said in, in, his, in one of his devotions. He said, I'd rather, he said, I'd rather cleanse my soul in six verses than wash my hands in several chapters. Meaning he wants to get so deep into the Word, have God speak to his heart. That's what he was getting at. When's the last time you had that desire? When's the last time you worship, praise, truly just praise the Lord? When is the last time? He said, Brother Philip, I've never had that. I've never had a desire for the Word of God. I've never had a desire to tell anybody about Jesus, my friend. Maybe what you need is get born again. Maybe you've never truly been saved. Because as Peter tells us in 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 2, as newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word that they may grow thereby. And again, verse 3, you've got to add to it. If so be, you have tasted that the Lord is gracious. Meaning if you've gotten saved, you're going to have that desire for the word of God. If you've never had it, maybe check up on it. Your salvation. So maybe if you say, look, I've never had this desire. Well, then look. Do you know Christ as Savior? Are you born Again, if you're not, understand this. He died for you, was buried for you, rose again the third day for you to give us life and life eternal. And that life is in his son. He that hath the son hath life. He that hath not the son of God hath not life. It is that cut and dry. Do you have Jesus as your savior? You see, others may think this way. Well, Brother Philip, I've I've had those desires in the past, but it seems lately they begin to wane. Or maybe just flat out be honest with yourselves. I've been absolutely cold to the word of God, cold to prayer, cold to church, cold to praising the Lord, just cold to it all. Well, my friend, listen, you need revival. And God would stir us personally to have all these desires sparking back up in our lives again. You can start now. I know that the Holy Spirit brings about conviction. And as he works in your heart and life, you need to respond appropriately to him. I can't do it for you. Nobody else can do it for you. You have to personally respond to what God's doing in your heart in this moment. So what will it be? Will you respond to God? Or will you continue to push him, push him away? Now, this is in 
anticipation of our next meeting next week, next Sunday, with our friend and family day. And what I want to do is this. Number one, I want us to pray. Praying for our friends and family that we know need the Lord. Praying for those that maybe they've committed, given you their word that they're going to come. We want to pray for them. Maybe you haven't invited folks out to it yet. I want to encourage you to do so. Because I was reminded again this past week that the majority of people that come to Jesus as their Savior isn't because of the invitation of a pastor. But it's the invitation of a friend. The vast majority of people come to know Jesus as Savior because of a friend. So do all you can to invite folks and get them here. In this moment here this morning, we'll pray for them. You come to this altar here in the front and pray for them. Turn around, make your seat an altar and pray for them. But number two, here's what I want you to do. In anticipation of our upcoming meeting together with our revival meeting, I want to ask you to do this. Number two, ask the Lord to speak to you personally. To open your heart and life to God personally and to pray this prayer personally, all right? In Psalm 139, verse 23 and 24, Search me, O God. Know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And see if there be any wicked way in me. And lead me in the way everlasting. Pray that prayer.